Welcome uh, to this week's Crypto Internet Show, which is our weekly series talking about everything happening on stocks and the broader eco- ecosystem along with building on Bitcoin. I'm your host, Kyle Ellicott. And as I said, we have a lot going on in the stacks ecosystem right now. Today, we have the Stackies sum- summing up what's been going on in the ecosystem and also celebrating each and every one of you uh, for all the contributions made to make this ecosystem grow and thrive as it has. And late yesterday, the white papers for SBTC and the Nakamoto release for Stacks Upgrade were both released. A lot happening. Maneev and team put together about a two-hour Twitter spaces yesterday, uh, in addition to the almost 35, 40 pages of new white papers uh, that were released. And today we'll do... uh, quick summary of kind of what this all means and what impact it has for each and every one of you. So with that, we'll go ahead and get started and, and jump right in. Welcome, Maneem and Patrick. It's a pleasure to have both of you and, and see you here in this mid-December. Uh, kind of jumping right in, SBTC, we've talked a quick minute about it uh, here on the Crypto Internet Show in the past, but Maneem, if you could give us maybe a overview of what and why BTC has come to be and, and how it was such a holy grail uh, of a problem to be solved. And now um, there is a proposal to make it happen. Yeah, I think I think this, this thing basically goes back to as far back as I can imagine the time in Bitcoin, right? Like maybe even, even, even before, right? So imagine um, the first fork of Bitcoin, uh, which was Namecoin. Satoshi kind of like directly contributed at least ideas, potentially code to Namecoin. Um, and and why why did Namecoin exist? Right? Namecoin existed because you couldn't implement that functionality on, on Bitcoin directly for and, and for good reasons, right? Like you have to modify Bitcoin. It's more complex. You're you're kind of like you know putting more functionality in the base layer. And many people in Bitcoin don't want to do that, you know, which is which is arguably this is I think this argument actually goes back to the all the way back to the creation, the very creation of Ethereum itself. Like and looking back, now Ethereum is like, you know, it's it's a it's such a huge ecosystem with so many developers and users and so on. But if you if you ask the question like why does Ethereum exist, it goes back to this fundamental thing. Uh, Vitalik literally tried proposing ideas for like uh, fuller smart contracts on top of Bitcoin. Again, Bitcoin is not going to change. Bitcoin Core does push back, and Vitalik went off to 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 start Ethereum. Right. So it is that fundamental of a question. Like I think it goes back all the way, uh, all the way to the to the to the beginning of quote unquote time of the crypto industry. Right. So what is the question? The question is um, blockchains. Are, we have seen it's great for creating, you know, uh, a monetary asset like Bitcoin. Uh, just the supply is kind of like, you know, uh, fixed. It's, it's a great store of value. Um, and now people want to build other interesting things, like other, other interesting use cases. Uh, where do they go and build that, right? If Bitcoin is not going to change, they're going to go and do it 
somewhere else. That's why you have Ethereum. That's why you have now the newer chains that are kind of like saying we will uh, give you features and faster speeds, even better than Ethereum and so on. And you've seen the entire cycle. But on the Bitcoin side, what if you could uh, have these two properties? Like one is, can you easily move BTC, the asset, uh, from the main layer into a Bitcoin layer and then back in a, in a, in a, in a trustless manner? Right? And the second is that when you are in the layer, when you're in the Bitcoin layer, your transactions are kind of like getting secured by Bitcoin security. Right? I think if you can do those two things, then there is a very good argument that, hey, a lot of developers and users would just want to do that. Bitcoin already has, even in the bear market, like $300 billion of capital. You know, Developers want to build things around capital, around opportunity, right? Like this, this, this money is basically just sitting there and, and it can start to get deployed if you can, if you can solve these problems. Right. So that's where that's where the world comes in, and that's why I call this the holy holy grail problem, because the beginning of a lot of the big projects and even companies actually go back to trying to solve this this challenge, like how Vitalik tried proposing you know smart contracts on top of Bitcoin and went off, started Ethereum. Even even big companies in the Bitcoin ecosystem, I think Blockstream is uh, generally respected as a as a company in the Bitcoin circles. Uh, although you know they, they, there are other reasons for maybe maybe some people might not like some of the stuff that they do, but um, uh, how did blockchain start? Like you should go and read the original blog post of blockchain, and it started with the sidechains paper. And the entire premise for for the company was that you know we are we want to build more uh, utility and applications around Bitcoin without changing the Bitcoin base layer. And here is the paper for sidechains. And this was 2013, 2014. And, you know, sidechains, uh, if you take a very practical, uh, hard uh, look at the Bitcoin ecosystem, they didn't really go anywhere. And, and the reason is that most of the sidechains have federated elements in it. Liquid is a federation. Um, you have like a fixed uh, set of, uh, of federation members who manage the, the hardware multi-sig for RSK. So in a way, we haven't fully solved these problems uh, for these Bitcoin layers to take off. I think it, it has been, it has taken such a long time because it is a very, very hard problem to try and solve. Let me, let me, let me pause there. Yeah, and Maneev, just to kind of take a step back, we, we use the word trustless and in the white paper, trustless is, is mentioned right at the beginning. It's, it's a trustless two-way peg. For those who maybe new or looking to learn a little bit more what does it mean by a trustless two-way peg yeah i'm, I'm gonna actually link to a uh, github faq page because some people especially in the in the, in the maxi community uh, seem to be getting tripped up by the use of the word trustless right and um so first of all like like a couple of things i'll, I'll post a link to the faq and i think people should go and read that because the first answer that i'm first thing that i'm trying to answer there is about the use of the term trustless right and again this is a group effort there's so many contributors to the to the uh, paper so many we're working in the open so I've, I've just started the faq page and i think many people will, will contribute to it um so going back to the, the main thing the first thing is the authors of the SBDC paper are not implying ever, right, that SBDC is the same as Bitcoin on on the, on is on or BTC on the Bitcoin L1, 
That is absolutely not the case. Bitcoin on Bitcoin L1 is the most secure thing uh, if you if you consider Bitcoin the most secure blockchain, right? SBTC, there's never there's never like this this thing where you're saying, hey, your big SBTC is as secure as Bitcoin. It's absolutely not. Maybe we can go and update the language to make it crystal clear that never there is this implication. SBTC is a pegged asset where Bitcoin is getting locked in the uh, on on L1. And SBTC is getting minted by Stackler consensus. What we mean by trustless, right, is there's no custodian in the middle. There is no federation in the middle, right? There is a group of signers uh, who are economically incentivized to sign the the, the transaction. And in, in fact, there's there's one line uh, I wrote in the FAQ, which basically says that if you consider Bitcoin to be trustless, right, if you would use the term trustless. Uh, for Bitcoin's design, because it has economic incentives for miners and it has an open membership system, anyone can come and become a miner, then you would also consider the design of the peg to be trustless because it is an open system and there are economic incentives for signers to sign those transactions, right? I think that is the distinction that is the design of the peg trustless? In my mind, yes. Uh, I think maybe people are getting tripped up on the word. Maybe they prefer trust minimized and we're happy to use the term trust minimized. But in my mind, there's no difference in the de- in the design of Bitcoin. Economic incentives, open membership, this is why Bitcoin is decentralized. This is why Bitcoin is trustless. Uh, the peg, open membership, you know, economic incentives, this is why it's decentralized. This is why it's it's trustless. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Mandy, for, for diving into that and following through uh, the design of SBTC. Maybe we, we might be jumping ahead and getting a little technical, but reading through the white paper, I was pretty fascinated fascinated by the proposal of the design function and that there's two different modes of operation for SBTC. Could you kind of share a little bit more about why these two modes exist and what their functions are? in the role of SBTC. Yeah, so I think the, the modes are there because of this interesting feature um, that's there, which is called the the recovery mode, which is, you know, it's again, it's part of the economic incentive, right? Like, what's the economic incentive? The signers have locked capital in consensus, more specifically SDX capital, and they earn Bitcoin rewards. So if I'm an I'm a, I'm a, uh, individual and I am earning BTC rewards for doing the work of signing, you know, I have capital locked in, in consensus as well, and I'm motivated to just follow protocol rules because otherwise my capital is not going to unlock and I'll start losing my, my BTC rewards. But in the uh, in the design, if that happens, if for some reason 70% of the uh, uh, of the of the signers, uh, like basically people are not not signing the transactions, you, you're not getting to the 70% threshold. For being able to get the the peg out, then people would start losing their BTC rewards. That's the first thing that happens. And the clever thing over here, and Jude is in the audience who proposed this. Uh, the clever thing here is that okay, we have to stop giving the rewards to the signers because they're kind of like not doing the work. But how about we start giving the rewards to the peg out people who who are trying to get their BTC out? Right. I think that's pretty clever. Because you can certainly start filling out the small payout requests that way. 
you're not gonna fill out like a you know twenty million dollar peg out request that's going out, but you can start filling out the, the small peg out request. And the, the and this is what's called the recovery mode because the the peg is is sort of peg outs are disabled right now. They're not uh, people aren't able to take the BTC out, but the protocol kind of like starts to uh, to redirect BTC to the peg out request. And then to be crystal clear, looking at the economic dynamics of it, it will take a very, very long time uh, for the protocol to pay everybody who was, who was trying to do the peg out, right? So I think uh, this, is a, this is a pretty disaster scenario, like if the system is in recovery mode. So it's not something we expect to see like all the time, but it's, an, it's, an, it's nice to know that uh, here, is a, here is a unique way in which at least some Bitcoin will start getting recovered if you end up in a very, very disastrous scenario. Speaking of Jude, he just joined us on stage. And real quick, Patrick, before I get to, to your comment, uh, Jude, anything to add on to that as, as the one who proposed this uh, methodology? Could you maybe uh, elaborate any further? Oh, oh, one, one quick comment before, before Jude uh, speaks. Like Jude actually wrote the SIP, we're calling it SIP21, and I think it's a nice, uh, a nice coincidence that the release is called Nakamoto. And the SIP number is 21. <laughs> it just happened to be 21. So if you go and check, like Jude, Jude was a huge force in actually writing the entire SIP. So he's done a lot more than just this proposed this this one thing. Thanks for that, Manib. Um, to answer your question, Kyle, the um, there's two things that the POX system really gets us here. Uh, the first of which, which um, gives me a bit of relief if I were to consider using a pegout system is that even if the stackers all crashed, um, that they all lost their money, if there was some malicious takeover or something like that, as long as the stacks chain keeps working, eventually everyone will be made whole because miners are just paying their Bitcoin not to stackers anymore, but just to people who are just trying to exit their SBTC for real BTC. It might take a while, but that's a guarantee at least that no other peg system that I know of um, can actually ever implement. Um, the second nice thing here is that um, treating POX rewards as the, the carrot before the stackers to um, participate in the peg has this nice property of um, taking the volume of BTC moving in and out of the system out of consideration for the stackers revenue model. Um, in other systems, you might see stackers, not stackers, the peg maintainers um, take a cut, like a fraction as a wrapping fee of the Bitcoin moving out of the system. That's not true here. There's no need. Like this, the, the POX reward is the reward, it's kind of like a coin base you know, for miners. It's like you're, you're being paid just to be online and do this thing. And you get paid the same regardless of the, regardless of the amount of demand going on, and we know that works. We see that in blockchains all the time, the, um, and that I think is a superior incentive mechanism to just trying to take a cut of everyone's Bitcoin fees because until you have a very high bandwidth of Bitcoin moving around, um, you have this bootstrapping problem where people why would why would a, an individual um, bother trying to maintain the peg if they're not going to make any money doing it? Um, POX is kind of like this beneficial thing that solves both of these problems, making sure everyone's whole in case of a catastrophe and making sure that um, stackers have every reason to stay online because um, it makes them money, even if people aren't yet using the system in mass. When you, when you all were coming up with um, the idea for SPDC, like two, two questions. One is like, what kind of like created the impetus for even coming up with this idea? And was there an aha moment? And then maybe thirdly, um, when you started to go through the architecture of this, were you um, challenged by or sort of pleased by the way POX 
uh, was set up when you were um, sort of um, attempting to build it? Yeah, I think the aha moment, and when I when I say like you know this is really a decentralized effort, um, I don't. I, I'm really this is, these are not like talking points. This is literally what happened. There were independent people working on independent designs for solving the same thing, and over time those designs sort of, sort of like merged with each other, and we ended up with a single design, and everyone's kind of like happy and behind it, which is great to see, right? Like there are. Um, there, there, there are people like Marvin, right? Like had had a proposal. Uh, other folks, and, and even at the mechanism, were were looking at uh, a different design. I was looking at stuff. Jude, others, right? Uh, and and there have been like <laughs> that's why it's also funny. Like, what is the actual paper? Like, there were so many so many documents floating around. One of the one of the probably. Uh, overheads of decentralization is like there i've seen so many different proposals of, of actually the the peg that i my mind is spinning right <laughs> like so at, at, at some point people are like okay let's try to put like one dog out uh, publicly so that you know everyone can be on the same page and so on anyway i, I, I digress uh, but the aha moment i can describe my aha moment and that was i think this is when maybe if you remember some months ago i got so excited and i was tweeting that hey folks have cracked something big. I don't know if people remember that, but that was the night I had the aha moment. And the aha moment was uh, this thing around, we already have Bitcoin rewards in consensus, right? So I, I believe this was Marvin's proposal that was trying, that Jude then uh, helped with as well, uh, which was trying to implement it at the smart contract level, right? And the aha moment was, what if you collapse it in, at the consensus level and use the Bitcoin rewards that are already there. And that just clicked uh, like in my mind that, that, oh my God, there's no, think of this way, there's no chain or layer out there where the consensus, the core thing that the consensus is doing and design around is to secure the peg. The peg is the most important thing, right? If Stacks becomes that layer, like there's one thing you do and you do it really well, which is that, you know, this is the most kind of like secure, call it decentralized, call it trust minimized, trustless, whatever term you want to use, but it's basically, this is the best way to peg uh, BTC into a layer, right? And because of the BTC rewards and the, and, and, the, um, uh, and the mechanism already available, that means that these people who are signers, like we already know how much capital is locked in stacking. We already know that these people would run, uh, are highly motivated to earn these rewards and they would do the work uh, if, the, if the system is designed that way. And that has real implications on the wrapping, unwrapping fees uh, that we've seen uh, to be a problem in other systems where one big problem is there are two, two practical challenges for, for, for uh, commercial viability of such systems. One challenge is if the, if the circulating supply can't be big, Right, uh, developers are not going to come, and companies are not going to come because it's, it's just like the, the 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 system is too small for people to play. Right? Like it's like a chicken and egg. Like you have to get to a certain level of liquidity where DeFi actually becomes interesting. Right. So the first aha moment is well, even in this bear market, there is 150 million dollars of capital locked in consensus even today. Right. Even even if you uh, can mint like you know 70 million or or more of capital against it, that's a lot. Right. Uh, it, it gets over the hurdle of like, hey, who's going to peg in and why is it going to be a small thing? And the second is rewards, right? Like because of the because of the big ten rewards, um, 
you don't have to charge a fee on the peg in and peg out operations, which means peg in and outs are free, which is a huge deal because otherwise if people are moving in a lot of capital and you're charging basis points, then they have to think twice before using the system. Because if you want to bring 10 million in, you're paying a very high fee because it's a basis point fee and that's how that protocol is trying to make money. Over here, there's no need to do that because people are getting 6%, 7% BTC rewards anyway. So they would just do the work for you if this is what the system asked them to, because they are already incentivized and already getting paid. Which system is charging basis points? So I think I think there there are uh, versions and proposals. Like for example, um, on the on the if you go through a custodian system like WBTC, you're paying. That's how they make money, right? They're a business. They have, you know, they have to sustain themselves. And even for other protocols, like if you uh, if you look at like why REN BTC is moving towards the federation, or even TBTC is updating their design. I recently learned that's not really a federation, but it's like some sort of a open federation model that they're trying to move to. But one of the issues is that you know they are a project on top of Ethereum, and they're trying to the holders of that token are trying to justify that where are their rewards coming from. Whereas imagine if ETH did this, right? If Ethereum was like, we are going to secure a Bitcoin peg at the consensus level of Ethereum, right? Um, that would that would actually be a pretty big deal, right? Like they, it's not like a small Ethereum project that is trying to bring Bitcoin to Ethereum on top of Ethereum, like Ethereum is trying to do it itself, right? And, and, and securing it at the consensus level and maybe the ETH staking rewards are being used as an incentive for people to just sign and the Pegot transactions. But obviously, I don't think Ethereum would do that. And that's that's uh, that's an opportunity for us. And even Jude, for, for you both, uh, switching gears to the additional white paper, uh, the Nakamoto release, uh, which includes the release of SBTC, can you maybe give again a high level overview of what is included in the Nakamoto release targeting for 2023 is we're only a few weeks away from the year start, but also uh, it's a significant amount of upgrades and um, components for those out there listening and, and preparing for their application development. Uh, I, can, I can add some context and happy to hear from Jude as well. So I think uh, the reason that you know, the, so by the way, the, there's like three working groups that contributed to these docs. But the reason I was, you know, I was complaining earlier about there were so many different docs, and we were like, you know, let's let's try to make sense of this. We ended up, it could have been like a single 30-page doc that came out of the working groups, but it was actually pretty confusing to read. And so in the end, the working group is, ended up doing like a separate, actually. <laughs> There is a separate SBTC doc, which people can go and read at sax.co slash sbtc.pdf. There is sax.co slash stacks.pdf, which is about the Nakamoto release, which is they're very interrelated, but I think maybe easier to read as two separate things. One is about the peg, the other is about the upcoming Nakamoto release of stacks. And then there is the SIP, which is the protocol level details. Uh, if you're an engineer and you really want to dig deep into the, the detail, like the SIP is the Doc, you should read. Right. So you're asking about the Nakamoto release. They're they're interlinked because in the Nakamoto release is where the peg will get integrated into the consensus, right? Um, and over there, there were certain changes 
to how the layer works that were needed to make the peg secure. The biggest one is Bitcoin finality. But I think Bitcoin finality is something that I think is good for the stacks layer anyway, because it bumps up your security budget by a lot, right? Like after like 150 blocks, uh, everything, and, and most of your chain history is beyond 150 blocks. 150 blocks is roughly a day, right? So if you registered like Muneeb.bdc like a month ago, uh, now someone will have to go attack Bitcoin if they, if they want to like basically say that, no, you never registered this thing or I registered or something. So I think that's a major security upgrade uh, to the stacks there, but you had to do it because otherwise the, the peg would not have been secure. Right. So that's why the two things are sort of interrelated, that to implement the trustless peg, you have to make changes to consensus. And the, all of those changes are actually really good changes. Like they're, they're about faster blocks, Bitcoin finality, uh, and, and I think people sort of like want that stuff anyway, even if peg was not the reason to do it. Thank you, Maneev. And, and Jude, anything else to add would be would be great. And then uh, Orlando, just brought you up on stage, got a quick question for you. But before we continue, just for reference to everybody, I put uh, two tweets uh, at the top of the chat, uh, one linking to the SBTC white paper that we are discussing right now, and also the broader uh, Nakamoto race uh, as well. So uh, if you do not have those links available, they are at the top of the chat. Uh, Jude, anything else to add on what is upcoming in the Nakamoto release? Um, I think Manu gave a pretty good, succinct explanation of what's going to happen. Um, there's going to be other things in the next hard fork that um, are unrelated to this because uh, we try to batch breaking changes together because hard forks are very high-touch, high-cost operations that take a lot of time. Um, but like I said, they're just not related. There's incremental improvements to clarity and other, other things like that. Awesome. Thank you. And, and Orlando, let's let's dive into the DAO side of things. I mean, what impact does SBTC have uh, around DAOs and the DAO tooling space that you're highly involved in? Hey, thanks, Kyle. Thanks for bringing me up. Um, and super excited about the SBTC announcement. Um, so, yeah, I, I think SBTC is major because it really fundamentally allows Bitcoin, uh, which is crypto's most valuable, secure and decentralized asset to be used in decentralized autonomous organizations or in really any sort of kind of um, Web3 organization. And um, just so um, everyone, in case anyone doesn't know me, I'm the co-founder and CEO of um, a startup building on stacks called Stacker DAOs. Um, we're building a one-stop shop to create and manage uh, DAOs powered by Bitcoin as well as some other Web3 organizations. And so the way that we're uh, personally going to be incorporating SBTC is by allowing people to be able to deposit uh, native Bitcoin uh, into, into a DAO's treasury. Uh, and then that will then go into the peg uh, and mint, or we'll, that will peg into Bitcoin, mint SBTC. SBTC will then go into the, into the DAO's treasury. And then all of our products use uh, atomic, uh, automatic proposal execution. So when the community votes on a proposal. The proposals are smart contracts, and those proposals automatically execute. So let's say if you want to send a token to X address, once that proposal is approved, it automatically happens. Um, so then you'd be able to actually send native Bitcoin uh, programmatically in a non-custodial way by, um, by having a DAO, let's say, approve a proposal to send native Bitcoin. Um, and then on the peg out, what will happen is SBTC um, would go to the protocol, 
uh, it would get burned, and then uh, the multi-sig, the protocol-level multi-sig, would send native Bitcoin to that end address. Um, so that was kind of in the weeds. But basically, what this will enable is um, basically the funding and deployment, uh, uh, the funding of DAOs with native Bitcoin, and the deployment um, of native Bitcoin by DAOs. Um, and what's really important here is that um, it enables it to be done in a non-custodial way, because otherwise, uh, since you couldn't really move Bitcoin pro programmatically, um, and you still can to this day, you basically then, if you have a DAO that then wants to um, tap into Bitcoin or use Bitcoin, um, you basically have to like function off of a multi-sig, and you basically have to trust that multi-sig, uh, those, those multi-sig signers, um, to then follow... Uh, whatever the DAO votes on. Um, and so that's, again, it's kind of, it opens up this attack vector as those multi-sig signers can always just like steal Bitcoin or do whatever they want with it. Um, so this kind of enables Bitcoin to be used in this truly kind of trustless, um, non-custodial way. Um, the other thing is, so I'm also part of the um, SBTC go-to-market working group. Uh, so shout out to Rena here. I see she, she's here. She's made a major lift um, kind of in helping to um, um, uh, kind of operate that group. And as part of that, I've been interviewing DAO founders as to um, kind of like how they would um, use SPTC or and just like any sort of feedback generally. And one major thing is that there are a bunch of people who, um, you know, who, who are protocol builders um, who now are considering actually using native Bitcoin as a way to pay for um, either some kind of like transaction fee or service fee or just protocol fees for the use of their protocol. Um, because now, because previously the issue is that you couldn't really um, programmatically move that Bitcoin, right? So if someone tried to pay with Bitcoin and let's say you want to move a certain percentage of that to go into like a DAO treasury or you want to split fees, maybe you're an NFT marketplace and you want to send a certain percentage to um, creators or, or to um, a certain percentage to the, to the marketplace, you, could, you can't just like, programmatically automatically split that Bitcoin. Um, and really the only solution would have been that someone would have to custody that Bitcoin. Um, and I'm a lawyer and what ends up happening is, uh, you, if you, anytime you custody anything, like any sort of um, asset on behalf of others, you run into money transmitter laws and it's basically like a million dollars uh, to get all these licenses uh, for you to be able to custody um, any sort of asset on behalf of anyone. Plus, it's crypto. So the whole point is that it's not custodial. And so with SPTC, people will now be able to kind of use certain protocols and pay for these protocol fees with Bitcoin, um, native Bitcoin, and then having, let's say, like SPTC um, programmatically be, um, be like that, that Bitcoin kind of be able to be split programmatically among different parties, including a DAO treasury with the use of SPTC. Um, so, that, um, so in terms of the DAO front, I guess those are kind of the two major use cases, um, being able to kind of fundraise uh, with, with native Bitcoin, deploy native Bitcoin, and then being able to manage a protocol that actually um, kind of accepts Bitcoin, native Bitcoin, um, in terms of revenue. Vinny, Patrick, Jude, thank you, Orlando. Uh, opening up for other potential use cases as we begin to come to close here for today's episode, um, looking at potential use cases in 2023 as this does roll out, um, what can we expect? We've heard a little bit about DAOs. Uh, it seems there are some examples around DeFi or Bitcoin uh, DeFi, but what else or what are there some additional use cases where SPTC could be involved? 
I feel like it's just limited by by your imagination, really. Right? Like it's 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 effectively any any application that you see that has uh, uh, taken off in the industry. It might be Uniswap, it might be OpenSea, it might be Aave, like whatever whatever application you think it's out there. If if you believe that Bitcoin is the best asset or Bitcoin is the most secure chain, then can you build an application like this in the Bitcoin ecosystem? I think that's that, that's sort of like the thesis. I think Jude jokes that it's uh, it's Muneeb's law that that anything of value that's ever built. Here will eventually be built on Bitcoin, right? So that that's the thesis. But very practically, what that means is how Orlando is mentioning that if if DAOs are interesting, then Bitcoin DAOs, like if you solve, like I look at all of these as like technical challenges, right? In the end, uh, our industry, you know, we are only going to be successful if we reach like billions of users and the mass market. Like people are not going to care how something is working in the in the background. People don't care when they use the internet, you know what. TCP/IP is what are all these other layers that are being involved? They just they just look at the utility that they're getting out of, out of their application. Right? So right now we're early enough that there are these protocol wars happening, um, and I think by the time you reach like billions of users, like protocols would be pretty pretty stable by then. And people are just going to care that okay, here's a DAO, it's interesting. I want to put my Bitcoin into the DAO because Bitcoin is the thing that's the most valuable, or is the only only thing that I've heard about the most versus some of the other currencies that are new or riskier or whatever. Right? So I think that's that's the lens. So to come back to it, I think that you're, you're limited by really your own imagination. You have a uh, programming language and environment where you can pretty much program whatever you want and you will have access to uh, trustless Bitcoin pegged assets. So go crazy. Yeah, just to add on to that, the um, I guess like the pithy, way you can think of this is like, see what they're building on Ethereum? Great, you can do that on Bitcoin now. Um, I really I, I really do believe in Maneev's law, like the talent will, fall, will follow the money. And where's the money? The money's on Bitcoin right now. And I don't really see that changing. Like every time there's a bear market, people flee altcoins back to Bitcoin. Um, what I would love to see happen going forward is we can marry the scalability solutions we're working on at stacks like subnets and farther off than that app chains um, and all of the technology that allows Stacks to couple itself to Bitcoin um, is transitive. Like you could have a subnet that deals with SBTC. So a high performance, um, low latency a mechanism for running smart contracts at speeds that are much faster than Bitcoin, allowing you to do things with Bitcoin that you currently cannot do um, because Bitcoin itself is too slow and light systems like Lightning and Taro don't have global state or smart contracts as we've come to know them. Um, so we're not just limited by things that um, we're not doing like, you know, Ethereum things on Bitcoin and Bitcoin speeds and Bitcoin scales. We're doing things that we've always wanted to be able to do um, with Bitcoin um, now that we have these um, increasingly invisible layers sitting between the applications that do things with Bitcoin and Bitcoin itself. Patrick, anything else to add? No, I'm good. Thanks. Uh, all right. They said it all. There you go. SBTC, the opportunities are limitless and to your imagination, as Maneem said. Uh, Maneem, Patrick, Jude, Orlando, thank you very much uh, for the time today. And uh, to everyone in the audience listening, definitely make sure you check out, uh, again, the links are above, but check out the white paper for SBTC and also the upcoming Nakamoto release. 
uh, for stacks uh, in 2023. Uh, with that, a big thank you for all for tuning in to this week's Crypto Internet Show. If you would like to tune in live, ask questions, or join the conversation, be sure to follow Stacks on Twitter and tune in every week at 5 p.m. Eastern on Wednesdays. Until next time, happy holidays, everyone. We will talk to you soon. Take care.